0: Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. Revelation calls us to hope and endurance for today and always. Today we will have an introduction to the book of Revelation reminding one another that while Revelation is most popularly interpreted to be a literal prediction of the future and the events that will unfold at the end of time, we are called to read and understand it in a similar way to how we do other scriptures, with context in mind. In that light, we are invited to read and know that Revelation is less a book about the end of time and more a word of encouragement for us today. In our message of the week, we begin our The End of the Bible as We Know It sermon series focusing on the book of Revelation. Pastor Jen Tyler shares from the beginning of Revelation and reminds us that this vision given to John isn't as grim as we think, that there is hope. Here is the First Church message of the week. won't you join with me in a word of prayer? Lord God, as we listen for your word, this day especially, might you open our ears that we can hear you more clearly. Open our eyes that we see you more clearly and our hearts that we might love you more deeply as you rid us from any and all distractions so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So today we are kicking off this new sermon series we keep talking about. We are going to study together the book of the Revelation to John. Now this uh, four-week sermon series, as I mentioned before, is just gonna give us kind of a snippet and an overview, but my hope is that it would encourage us to dive into some of the tougher things in our lives. One of the things that is a core piece of my theology and what I believe is that if we can't talk about hard things in church, where can we talk about them? And the book of Revelation is certainly one of those churchy things that I think a lot of people are afraid of or avoid, avoid, and so I am excited to jump in complete with the ominous music of our little bumper video that we got to watch today that kind of paints for us a picture of how lots of us feel about this book, doesn't it? So in preparing for this series, I have been trying to figure out what it is maybe that people are curious about or afraid of, or maybe what you already know about what I would call this strange and often avoided book. And so I posted a question on my Facebook feed And I got a number of answers to my question about, well, what do people find so intimidating about this book? I also asked questions like, well, who's actually read it? Or what do you know about it? Or are you one of many who for decades just avoided it and never actually looked at it because I've heard too many scary things about it? we aren't really sure what we're reading anyway so why bother right so that was kind of what i got from a couple people but mostly my favorite comment was the first one i got it was a comment from my friend adrian who wrote that the very credible and real scholarship that has been done on the book of revelation that it that says revelation is not about the end of times that he says is intimidating Because if that's true, then what is the book of Revelation and what? How does it apply to us today? Right? So we have heard in our pop culture so many things about what Revelation is. And so much of the world around us has taken the big and scary imagery that we do find in this book, and they've taken it out of context, inviting us to think about the end of times in the most exhausting and overwhelming ways. But the truth is that this book that you've probably rarely heard sermons about, I've heard lots of comments over our last two worship services of like, I think I've never heard a sermon on Revelation before. The truth is this book... Well, it's important that we take time to study it, because it's not just about the end of the world in those troubling and apocalyptic sorts of ways that we think it is. It isn't about how the world is going to end in awful, scary destruction, and it isn't at all like the movies, like the movie Armageddon, right? They try to tell us that it's it's a hard thing to imagine, and it's all going to be this big, scary destruction all at once. And Hollywood wants us to believe things that it isn't. I have a long list of things that the book of Revelation is not. You know what else it's not? It's not anything like those other books or series that maybe you've read, like the once popular but very fictional left behind series that made us all think that Revelation is actually a story about the rapture and about how one day the world is going to be different because the faithful among us are just going to disappear, Now as engaging and entertaining as that is, these stories and these movies, well, none of them are based on scripture. None of them are based in truth, or at least not real truth. What what I mean by that real truth is that while the storylines are made up for the dramatic effect that draws us in and engages us, they also had to be tied somehow to Revelation to give us that impression, right? but they aren't tied in the ways we might expect. Instead, they are tied together by taking some of the scary and unsettling stories in scripture that we don't fully understand, and instead of contextualizing them to try and understand how and why they were written, we do the opposite and pull them out of context. So the words like Armageddon, popularized by that late 90s film with Bruce Willis, right? That's about saving the world from complete destruction by having some guys off an oil rig fly into space to blow up an asteroid. That feels realistic, doesn't it? (laughs) Meanwhile, the actual story in the Bible where it does talk about Armageddon, Armageddon is actually not this big world-changing event that happens as much as it's actually a place Armageddon is an ancient battleground that is you can still visit today in modern Israel. It is a city that is used to and tied to the end of the world because this ancient city has been destroyed again and again and again and again and again and again, and again in battle. In fact, This city was destroyed and then rebuilt so many times that there have been excavation and archaeological digs that have uncovered at least 26 different layers of settlements that date back thousands of years. And the last time it was believed people lived there was around 350 BCE, so just a couple years ago. Armageddon then seems to be this perfect setting for a biblical scene of destruction, doesn't it? Because when we consider it in context, we know that the people who would have first heard these words as they were written, they knew what Armageddon represented. And in the same way, I think similar to that, you know, calling that place Armageddon, they understood what that meant in the same way as I might suggest that maybe the next battle for the soul of our nation should be called something like the plains of Gettysburg. We hear Gettysburg, and we don't just think of Pennsylvania, right? We think of a a scene. We think of all of the history represented in that place, and that's how it was with Armageddon for them. So I could go on and on. I could tell you a lot of things, that the book of Revelation, uh, I could tell you lots of connections to pop culture and how some of them are right and a lot of them are wrong. But the point would be the same if we went on about all of that. The point would be that we have a lot of cultural ideas about Revelation, but actually those stories point a lot to what it's not. But if it is not all of these things, then what is it, right? Revelation believe it or not, is actually a story of hope. It is a reminder that our God, who is the God of the sun and the moon and all of creation, we have a life-giving, creating, and redeeming God who is trying to show us a future worth hoping for. You see, much like other scripture in the New Testament, the book of the Revelation to John was first written not as a directive from God, but as a letter written to a group of people. More specifically, this is a letter written to offer an account of John's visionary experience with the resurrected Jesus, an experience that we are told is facilitated from the beginning to the end by the Holy Spirit. And so what this means then is that the book of Revelation is not meant to be interpreted literally as is often done, but it is meant to be read as it is, as a vision. Anybody ever had a dream or a vision and you woke up and you thought, what the heck was that, right? Visions are not meant to be seen in a literal way any more than our dreams are, but often they still hold deep meaning, right? A uh, United Methodist pastor and theologian by the name of De Vega puts it this way when he says that we should use this book as a guide to experiencing the resurrected life. John's vision allows us to see the world, the church, and the Christian life in the way God envisions it, not just for how it is, but for how it can be. That's good news, isn't it? I think that's really good news when we look around at the world and imagine that it can be something better and more hopeful. And I think that's good news because if we're honest, the world's kind of a mess, isn't it? But even if the world around us feels like a mess now, just as the world has been a bit of a mess for thousands of years, if we're honest, with our high and our low points throughout history, the good news in that is that God always has been. God is, and God always will be with us. That is why we proclaim the truth of who and where and when God is. Even as a part of our communion liturgy, when we share in communion at this service once a month, usually, we often respond in chorus as a part of that prayer with these words about how Christ has died in the past, Christ is risen in the present, and Christ will come again in the future. Good news and words of hope that come from the book of Revelation in the first chapter. I want you to listen for these familiar words in our scripture passage as I read it this morning for us. I'm going to read from the Revelation to John, a reminder that this is a letter. And so those opening words uh, are a greeting and a salutation. So we skipped a little bit of that and are beginning in verse four. I'm going to read chapter one, verses four through eight. It says to us, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. Here ends our reading. Do you hear the hope in these words? Do you hear the hope and the promises about God who has made us a part of a kingdom where we will once again see God as he comes to us, even on the clouds, it says. Something that means not literal riding in on the clouds, but that we all have that picturesque of the heavens coming down to earth. Not only will we see him, it says all the people, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Friends, that means that even those who perhaps most betrayed Christ in his life here will be welcomed back. We all, no matter what we have done or left undone, if we seek to turn back to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, all of us are given an opportunity to draw nearer to God and to be welcomed into the body of Christ. Now, this introduction here in these few short verses also hold other important information that help us prepare for what's yet to come in the rest of the book. For example, when John addresses the seven churches in the province of Asia... John is not addressing seven specific churches. Rather, seven is a number that is often used, especially throughout scripture and a lot in the book of Revelation. Seven is a number that is used not to mean the number that we count, but it symbolizes a kind of um, completeness or wholeness. And so over and over throughout the book of Revelation, the number seven is used in this way, twice even in this verse, as we say the seven spirits before his throne. That doesn't mean there will be seven literal spirits. It means the whole of the spirit of God will be present in this place. And thus when John addresses the seven churches, what it means is that he is addressing all of the congregations of Roman Asia. So it's easy to see how then if language from this early on, it's coded even from those first few verses that otherwise seem to make sense. And so I think that's part of what makes the Revelation so intimidating, right? How are we supposed to know that? Well, hopefully you have a Bible at home. Lots of Bibles now have notes, and even the subnotes in my uh, Bible told me that. I can't tell you how much extra reading I've done on Revelation these couple weeks. And it's been really fun and surprising. So I hope you're going to plan to join us for our Bible study because it can be intimidating, but it doesn't have to be. Rather, we're invited into this text and to take a little bit of extra patience and care and a bit of extra time because unlike some of the words of Jesus, it's not going to inspire us verse by verse in the same way. But once we start unpacking this text, it has potential to, as we can quickly see it as an invitation for us to see that which is already in front of us, but in new and creative and hopeful ways. For example, we know that this letter was written to churches that were in distress because in the first century, the people under Roman rule, well, they didn't exactly have it easy. For starters, if they were faithfully seeking to follow Jesus, they were facing active persecution. And so they had to find a way to live in that tension of living a world in which they were embracing and living out their faith while living into that tension of living in relationship to a government that didn't exactly have their best interest at heart. Now, I know that none of us can relate to having a government that we feel like doesn't have our best interest at heart, right? their distress, of course, not being the same as ours because theirs was real in life-threatening and difficult ways that I don't think we can fully understand in 21st century America. But that doesn't mean that our life is easy. It doesn't mean that we don't need hope and a good word. Enter these words from Revelation, words that make us promises and paint for us a picture Jesus Christ is our faithful witness, it says, the ruler of all, lover of all, giver of freedom beyond anything we can imagine. Every eye will see, it promises us. For God will come with all and for all, because God is with all and for all, all. No ifs, ands, buts are exception. God is for you. Because I am the alpha and the omega, he says in verse 8. Who is, who was, and who is to come, the Lord Almighty. God is coming, these verses promise us. And not just coming, but coming to sit on a throne that is not like the ones of the world that we can imagine. Just as Jesus came the first time to be a king and a savior in ways that even his disciples didn't fully expect or understand, when Jesus comes again, He assures us here that he will once again subvert all the powers of the world, reminding us of what matters most, reminding us of our work to allow God to make us into a kingdom, to serve God and one another, and to let our purpose in life be to praise God in all things, at all times, and in all places. I don't know about you, but that sounds like pretty good news to me. It sounds pretty hopeful to me. Because the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that the worst thing is never the last thing. The worst thing is never the last thing because we know that as the disciples watched their Lord and Savior Jesus be crucified on the cross, in that moment, it felt like the world was ending and everything was awful and would never be okay again. Anyone ever felt like that in our lives? Only later to realize in hindsight that there were good things coming that we can't yet see. Now that doesn't mean that God wants longing or suffering or pain in our lives, but it does mean that there is always something more coming. It means that the best thing is the hope of God who is and was and is to come because God will never leave you or forsake you. And we can trust in that promise because we know how this story ends. We know that God always has and always does and always will when, and so it is with jesus as seen in the book of revelation it is a book of life a book of love it is a book of hope just as it is an invitation to take all that we have and to turn it over to jesus lord of life bringer of hope ruler beyond nations the very one who reminds us that not only are we never alone But in our life, as in his, the worst thing will never be the last one. And so friends, if there is one thing that we take away from this month of talking about revelation, there is one thing that we learn. This is what I hope for. That we would know that this is meant to be a word of encouragement. It is meant to be a word of hope. It is a reminder that whatever has been, whatever is, whatever will be, it is in God's hand. And the Lord, our God, will never leave you or forsake you. Let us pray. Faithful, loving, patient God, we thank you for the surprising ways that you show up to and for us. We thank you for this revelation to John that we wrestle with, in which we find your abundant hope, a reminder of hope that is yet to come as we seek assurance in all that has been, all that is, and all that ever will be. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and the Savior, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.